Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of the call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the afternoon. You're watching Ausbiz. And of course, uh, we kick off every afternoon with the call. Um, over the next 60 minutes, we take a look at 10 stocks that you've sent in for adjudication from our expert panel. I add an extra one for the stock of the day and we see if we can uh, dissect those stocks and give some opinions on it. So uh, great to have your company for the next 60 minutes or so. Johnny is from the West, Carl Capolinga from uh, Thick Markets. Carl, how are you? Lead up to uh, to Derby this weekend, West Coast and Frio, the uh, the city excited? Yeah, good good afternoon, Koshi. Oh, it's, it's always exciting over here in WA. The weather's warmer, the iron ore is a higher grade. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, we're looking forward to the derby. I'm actually, I'm not sure if we if, we, if we'll be allowed to go. Maybe uh, mask on oh. and a reduced crowd. I haven't heard yet. My mum's uh, my mum. Oh, we've just lost Carl. Then I think talking about his mum, his mum may have cut him off. Um, oh, there we go. You're back. I'll just there say my go. my mum's got the ticket, so we're in the cheer squad, and uh, she normally calls me around about now to let me know what's going on. Oh, excellent! In the cheer squad, I like it. You That's got Mikoshi. That that's yep got you. That's dedication being in the cheer that's squad. Uh, ben Clark from TMS Capital is with us. Ben, how are you? How's your week been? Busy but good. Yeah, yep. everything's going pretty well. So, Anything um, you've been focusing on in particular? Um, there's been a, we're starting to get some trading updates coming out in the last week. Um, Bell Potter had a good um, tech conference yesterday. Oh. Um, actually, coming up is um, Macquarie's mid cap conference, which yep. they had to cancel last year because of COVID. But yeah. Um, that's on the 2nd to the 5th of May. Right. And I think you're going to get, a, there's going to be a massive wave of news. You know, a lot of companies, oh. we typically did use that as a um, reason to give a, an earnings update. And because right. a lot of companies were reluctant to do it back in February still, coming yep. out of COVID, um, um, you know, they haven't mm. given a lot of guidance. So get I think, some more clarity. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot plenty to come. Um, what caught your attention in the Bell Potter? Tech conference. Uh, Life 360 was an oh, interesting one, which I think we're yes. going to be talking about today. And, yes, we um, actually had the chief executive on the show on the um, Chris on the stream yesterday. Yeah, Chris, yeah, yeah with so, their with their purchase. Yeah, it's an interesting. Um, you know, I, I actually saw him present um, pre-IPO, and um, I couldn't quite get my head around it. You know, yeah. sort of tracking your family members and making yeah. sure they're safe and. Also, the unusual so wearable technology. Yeah, 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 and it, and if they have a car crash, that you can get a first responder to get to the car. Yeah. All these sort yeah. of things, um, maybe a bit more relevant to the US than Australia. But 
also it was, it was quite, quite unusual. It was one of the first companies um, out of Silicon Valley that actually chose to list on the ASX and it's uh, sort of spawned uh, this, um, you know, okay. this, this wave of tech IPOs I think All we've right. seen. We'll talk about that yeah. a bit more later because that, uh, that purchase will uh, allow them to track your pets and your elderly parents. So, not that they're related, but no. <laughs> uh, we, we all understand a bit of a need for it. All right, uh, let's get in with stock of the day. And uh, I thought we'd take a look at Fortescue uh, reporting flat shipments of iron ore year on year, but uh, uh, dropping 9% in the third quarter as while well, weather in the Pilbara region disrupted activity. Costs a bit on the rise, driven by lower volumes and a higher Aussie dollar. Expectations for uh, this fiscal year, CapEx also raised um, thanks to spending at its Iron Bridge Magnetite project. Uh, Carl, just a phenomenal business, is a bigger shareholder, of course. Andrew Forrest, uh, iron ore price up around $200 a tonne at the moment. They're making bucket loads, aren't they? Look, they, they certainly are. Uh, and yeah, it's a good summary there coming in, Koshi, for their quarterly. Um, Look, production was great. I think the market was a little bit disappointed. We saw the price fall early in the morning on those rising costs, but they explained it by saying uh, strength in the Australian dollar, some seasonal issues, uh, and then they upgraded, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, upgraded, uh, but mm. raised their guidance for CapEx uh, going forward. And I think the market's a little bit sensitive uh, to Fortescue and CapEx after the, right. the Ironbridge blowout earlier in the year. Um, but no, look, I think it's it's, it's a solid r report and um, these sorts of reports from these big miners are a little bit much of a muchness at the moment because, it, as you say, it's all about the iron ore price and, uh, and you know, iron ore prices continue to, to stay very strong. And I think a lot of the, the big brokers, a lot of the research houses out there and, and a lot of the commentators I listen to on Ausbiz seem to think that you know, the iron ore price is, is destined to, to fall and fall sharply. Uh, look, I, I'm of the view it's going to be uh, longer for stronger. Um, I don't think um, there's going to be this rapid decline that many are predicting. And and, and on that basis, I think Fortescue is going, going to continue to make uh, a great deal of cash going forward. I, I don't think the business is particularly expensive. It's got that sort of um, a very interesting uh, occurrence, which you don't see on stocks very often. And if you look at sort of its, uh, you know, look at its PE a couple of years out and look at its dividend yield a couple of years out, and they're kind of pretty steady going forward. But you've got a PE of around about 10 and you've got, a dividend yield of around about 10. It doesn't occur very often. So um, I think that that presents an opportunity in itself. The stock doesn't look expensive to me based upon my assumptions. I think you're going to have a great dividend yield. I think, therefore, your total shareholder return is going to beat the market. I think that's what a holding Fortescue is all about. Uh, it's about getting a great total shareholder return that's going to beat the market uh, and knowing that you're not investing in something like, uh, you know, Afterpay or something, or something fancy like that, um, yeah. that has uh, all, all growth, but, you know, uh, coincident downside as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I like it. We're, we're buyers of this. Um, we've been supportive of it, not just because I'm from WA and uh, it's compulsory over here to own Fortescue shares, uh, but we've been supporters since since mid, la mid last year. And I just put a buy on it um, earlier this month as, again oh, okay. to take advantage of the pullback. Uh, you mentioned Twiggy. Uh, he bought 10 million shares, uh, announced it at the end of March. So he was buying sort of, I'm guessing, sort of uh, February, March into that pullback. So uh, when, the, when the price was coming down, and Twiggy was buying. I think that's a great vote of confidence going forward as well. Chart looks fantastic. Uh, so it's okay. a buy from All right. Um, a buy then from, uh, from Carl. Um, 
um, it is extraordinary. Uh, those trade figures that, that came out yesterday uh, showed iron ore exports now account for 40% of total Australian exports in terms of value. Um, it is just extraordinary. Uh, it is dominating. You talk about Australia riding on the sheep's back back in the, the 50s and 60s. Yeah. That's nothing yeah. compared to what we're doing with iron ore at the moment. Yeah, I was, you know, we were talking before that um, some uh, economists are now thinking that we could get back to a budget surplus in the next three to four years because of the, the cash inflows are just so much stronger, namely from iron oh. ore, oh. and the economy generally has held up so much better. But yeah. um, I'd, I'd probably, I'd be a hold on Fortescue, um, yeah. and it's for sort of three reasons. The first would be um, that in the past, we've seen Fortescue produces lower grade of iron ore than say a BHP right. or Rio. Yep. Um, it's, it's more emissions um, generating uh, than, um, than high grade ore. And China seems to be on the cusp of going on another environmental um, you know, crusade in the next yep. five years. And we have seen in the past that the the price between high and sort of medium grade iron ore is really sort of blown out in, during those periods. So even if the iron ore price you know, holds up, which I'd be surprised to be honest, I think at some stage Brazil's gonna come back online and yep. things will calm down. You, you might get a bit of a declining price, but the, the lower grade stuff declines even further. Right. There's a bit of cost pressure, um, you know, 16% cost growth um, per tonne. It's not a lot to worry about. It's puts up their costs a buck or buck 50. It's right. not a big deal, but it is going in that direction again. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I just, I'm just worried these are cyclical businesses. And, you know, when we're talking the way that we're talking about what iron ore is doing for the country and yeah. where it's at, um, you know, I, I, I get, a, get bit a bit wary. Yeah, yeah, I would. Okay. All right. So I hold on Fortescue. Um, I interviewed the treasurer on Sunrise this morning and we're, you know, he's going to make a budget statement today. The budget's out on May 11, uh, of course, and um, outlining some of the areas and preferences. And I said to it, and he's doing the whole, oh, yes, you know, we've come out of pandemic and all this sort of stuff. And I said, but, mate, you've won lotto, haven't you, with iron ore? Because in the budget papers in May last year, for this financial year, all of their tax revenue was based on an iron ore price of $55 a tonne. Well, it has been triple, now quadruple that uh, for the entire year. And I said, how much extra tax revenue uh, have you made out of iron ore above what you've forecast? And he said, oh, well, you're gonna have to wait. I, I don't really know. I said, don't give me that. <laughs> you do know. Um, and he said, that will be revealed in the budget. And I went, oh, okay. I said, but it's significant, isn't it? And he went, well, yes, it's been very helpful for us. So yeah, yeah. it's more than helpful. It's oh, driven the budget. It's huge. Blimey. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into the stocks that uh, that you want us to take a look at. Um, now, Ben, Peter wants a view on Linus. Yep. Uh, Peter says it's one of the two major rare earth mining companies outside China. It suffered a 20% drop from a high of 6.52 on April 9th. Peter's obviously in uh, in Linus to a low of 5.25 <laughs> last Friday, which was April 23. Uh, on the realization that Chinese supply is probably increasing. I believe, this is Peter, that the increasing domestic supply in China could well be met by stronger domestic Chinese demand and Linus's stock price should gradually go back up to the mid $6 in the short to medium term. What do you think? Is Peter onto something here? He could, I, look, 
I, I, I'm going a hold on Linus as well. I, yeah. I would query his assumption that demand for rare earths is suddenly going to meet this increase with China has flagged or actually Linus um, flagged that China is going to increase the production of rare right. earths. And we have seen, you know, we were in Linus years ago when um, uh, the Chinese actually tried to take it out. Kevin Rudd right. at the time um, killed the deal, um, right. said it was a strategic asset. Um, and they went on their own way, nearly went broke, recapitalized, managed to get through all the Malaysia issues. And um, it's now become, it's a really weird situation where the, sh the shares would never be trading at these levels if it wasn't of such global importance to have a reliable um, um, supply of iron ore, uh, sorry, of uh, rare, rare earths earth. outside of China. Yeah. Um, because these. The Americans have put an uh, emphasis on They've had like Senate market. hearings about how yeah. reliant they are on China. They use it in, in fighter planes. Yeah, missiles, like um, yeah. mobile phones, you yeah. know, are a big user, batteries, all of that sort yeah. of thing. The, the reality with rare earths is they're actually not rare. Yeah. The, um, they're, they're very common. What is unusual about them is that it's incredibly complex and expensive to split them into the various components. Uh, um, and then, you know, different rare earths are used in different, okay. um, different things. Um, so, you know, Linus never would have got to this stage if it hadn't been able to get very cheap funding for Japan, who are also very worried about China. Um, so where are we at now? I think there might be some more downside in, in Linus in the short term. I, I'd say hold um, because I think it will be supported. Um, in the past, you know, look back in history, when China has ramped up production, it has had quite a big impact on the price of rare earths. And right. these things can, you know, go from profit to loss very quickly because yeah, yeah. um, they're quite close to their marginal cost of production. Yeah, yeah. But long term, it is a strategic asset. I'm sure it's on the radar. And just one quick thing I'll add is, I don't think there will ever be a small, you know, there's a lot of people playing around in small rare earth potential producers. The cost of getting into production is right. so incredible. It is not going to so happen. So if you're going to be in rare earth, Linus this is, is the, the one. place to yep. be in. Yep. Okay. Um, Carl, what do you think of Linus? Uh, look, I, I think it's a very exciting um, prospect. I agree with what Ben said. It's a very strategic, um, uh, I guess, asset if you look at the company as a whole. Uh, I agree that the just around their sort of marginal cost of production. Uh, the good news is that prices uh, for, for many of these rare earth uh, products have been increasing over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And, you know, if you look at their average sort of pricing, it's it's gone up around about sort of, uh, look, about 50 to 60%. Um, and, if, and if prices stay around here, then they are actually uh, making good money and they've got decent cash flows. And that makes it easier to, to value a business uh, when it does have those cash flows. So there is some risk there in that, well, if, if pricing comes down, then the share price is going to come down as well because it becomes more of a cash flow neutral operation. But assuming the best case scenario and things keep going the way they are, uh, then there's there's some uh, value in the business um, or some value in the share price around these levels. I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's exceedingly cheap, however. Uh, looking at the chart, uh, looking at the chart, I think the chart kind of reflects that. I think the chart, you know, the huge run-up reflects the great opportunity, uh, the optimism, the enthusiasm, perhaps even the euphoria over this space not that long ago. Uh, we've reached a little bit of inflection point and then we're coming back to a little bit of reality where valuation starts to um, take a bit more of the investor's focus. I can't be a buy here just on the fact that I think that long, uh, the longer term trend is, um, I should say the short term trend is, is 
has definitely changed to a downtrend. The longer term trend is still up, but I think we might um, have a bit, see a bit more of a pullback. Um, I'll give you a price that, look, uh, I guess, in terms of technicals and fundamentals, it starts to look very interesting for me. So around about that four to four fifty area, I think, is looking very, very uh, good, both in terms of val uh, its valuation uh, and its uh, technical long term trends. So it's it's uh, if you had it, um, I hate calling things like this to sell. Uh, but I actually think you probably will get better prices in the not too distant future. If you don't have it, then I think um, watch that range, that sort of four to four fifty, and waiting for the right price action signal uh, to come in there before you look to get in. Okay, all right. Thank you for that, Peter. Uh, now, Braden wants a view, uh, Carl, on Strike Energy. Braden says I've had the shares for about fourteen months now. I've seen great capital growth. Uh, they're now doing a capital raise that looks appealing. Uh, keen on your thoughts should you get into the capital raise of course uh, it's in the exploration and uh, it's an oil um, explorer and developer um, in the Cooper Basin and uh, also in WA recently um, had some has received a state government grant to keep drilling in the in the Perth, Perth Basin yeah they they have um, they're sort of the largest uh, Perth uh, Basin perspective explorer at this point in time. Uh, they, they aren't producing at this stage, so they're in the business of um, shoring up some reserves and hopefully that should be done this quarter. And they're looking to move into production, I think it was uh, in uh, 2022 or 2023. Um, it's an interesting sort of market over here in WA. Um, we've had some delays on the Northwest Shelf and it's also a little bit more expensive, well, quite a bit more expensive to get the gas down here from the Perth Basin, which is literally just 100 or so kilometres north of where Perth is. So they've got a bit of a, a strategic advantage um, in, in that regard. Uh, yeah, look, I think it's all about executing now, um, you know, proving those reserves, uh, commissioning plants, getting to production. Uh, as far as whether you should take up the um, the share purchase plan, I think uh, at 30 cents a stock's uh, sort of in the mid to high 30s. I, I think that's a, a bit of a no-brainer. Um, from a technical perspective, the chart looks um, quite strong. The trends, uh, short-term trends, long-term trends are all up. Price action looks good, candles look good. Uh, so on that basis, happy to um, to take up that offer. Um, it's a stock we have um, featured a couple of times in our uh, Think Technical, so where we you know look at charts and make calls based purely on the technicals. Um, and we've had a buy on it since about 24 cents. Uh, I, thinking of running it again, because I think the, the, the chart still looks uh, pretty good. So happy, happy to be a buyer here. Yeah, explain the chart for me, what you're seeing there. When you talk about you've uh, well, had a look at the chart, you've had a buy since 24 cents, which is what, about November or September, November. Um, why does that chart look attractive to you? Yeah, well, so the recommendation, uh, to check my notes here, came on the 21st of August. Um, the stock was at 24 cents. Uh, at that time, it was a very uh, different prospect. So it was a chart that was turning around, um, obviously a dip through COVID, uh, far weaker energy prices, which incidentally have less impact on this one because it's not producing yet, ironically. Uh, but no, at that stage, it was more of a turnaround place so that the, the short term, and the long term trends had swung up. We had gone from making lower peaks and lower troughs to higher peaks and higher troughs. Oh, yeah, uh, the yeah, candles yeah. went from being all, all black to all white. Now, unfortunately, you can't see that on screen because we've no. got a blue a blue line on a, on a blue background. But I'm um, talking more about the charts I'm looking at. Looking at the chart now, it, it's still um, consistent in that uptrend. Uh, every time it pulls back, it pulls back a little bit less uh, than when mm -hmm. it rallies. It rallies a little bit more than the pullbacks. Uh, the candles are white, which tells me that even if the stock opens down on the day, there are buyers waiting in the system to buy it, which is usually a good sign. Yeah. Uh, and as I, as I said, trends are up. So there's lots of uh, okay. technical stuff going on behind the scenes of any of these recommendations. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I love it when you take us through that sort of stuff because uh, we learn each time we chat to you, which is terrific. Uh, ben, what do you think of uh, Strike? 
Uh, look, it's probably not one I would typically go for. I, I'm going to say a hold. Um, yep. I guess there's some things I can see going in its favour and there's some things that mm. I'd be, you know, sort of, it's going to be hard to forecast. It's producing. That's a big tick. It's well located. So yeah. um, it's, it's you know, very close to its customers. There's not a, you know, big yeah. cost of getting the gas out of the ground and, and into, a, into a pipeline. They've just done a capital raising of $75 million. So it's well capitalized. They're burning about $8 million a quarter on drilling. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on face value, um, they've done well to, to get through to that stage. Um, going forward from here, I think, you know, $760 million market cap to kind of warrant that there needs to be probably a pretty substantial increase in production. That's gonna be dependent on how successful the drilling is that's always up in the air. You know, ultimately most companies that drill don't find anything. Yeah. You know, they have, they've got some form at least, so hopefully they're spending the money wisely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, um, Peter Coleman wrote a really good article in the Fin Review a week ago. He's um, the CEO of Woodside, biggest gas producer in Australia and one of the biggest in the world. Um, he's on his way, he's retiring. And it was, in, it was really interesting. He, he was saying that he, he's of the view that um, even if there are high quality gas discoveries in Australia or offshore, they will never get to um, production because of the ESG changes that we're seeing so oh, rapidly right. okay. bring in. And he's, you know, he's the sort of person that you listen mm. to in this respect. And, he, you know, ultimately, um, if you make a big discovery, the cost of actually getting that out of the ground and either onto a, a ship as LNG or into a, into a pipeline are enormous. And you need banks to help finance that yeah. cost. Yeah. And he said, the, the, the speed of the withdrawal of the finance options, even for a company like Woodside, is quite extraordinary. Okay. And, um, you know, he sort of said that the gas that's being produced now will probably be the only gas that is oh. produced over the next few decades okay. as we transition. All right, but they're pretty good. Uh, uh, Braden's already in Strike Energy. Should he take up the capital raise? I don't know what I don't know what the price is being done at. I guess uh, you know if it were me, thirty um, k is a pretty big lick potentially for Braden. Um, it might be worth if if it's trading at a if he's getting offered a discount to the current share price. Yep. Sell a few shares, yep. take up the raising, send in your check, and you know lock in a mm. bit of profit okay. there, and don't increase your exposure to the company. All right. Okay. Uh, Damien wants a view on NRW Holdings. Um, basically. Uh, a contracting service uh, for um, uh, civil engineering, also the engineering company, yeah. that sort of stuff, is that, that um, yeah, mining, mining services, yeah, sector, yeah, monodelphuses of the world, uh, yeah, yep. You think these um, sort of companies are in the, a great spot at the moment because there's you know such a lot of activity happening in mining yeah. and in infrastructure and civil. Um, I've got a sell on NRW, uh, and. You look at the company's presentation and um, it's full of, you know, this amazing pipeline of work that they're tendering for, et cetera, et cetera. But having seen these cycles in the past, one thing that people can um, get wrong is the margins that they earn. So, yeah. you know, you can say, I'll build that road, that road for you from A to B. Um, a year ago, they might have tendered at a fixed cost. And when they're actually coming now to building that road, there's cost pressures right across yeah. the industry. So the labor, the cost of the cement, the trucks, you know, we're hearing all these, all yeah. these, you know, it's very tight labor market. And what's looks like it's been happening with this company is, yeah, the pipeline and the sale, the revenues going, you know, sort of like this, 
the actual profit's going like this. And yeah. that's because the margins they thought they'd earn on these projects are not so coming slim. through. Yeah. So, And if you bugger it up, it's a big... <laughs> oh, and can, they can go negative, of yeah, course. Exactly. You know, we've seen it with All a lot right. of companies. So, so uh, Carl, what do you think of NRW? Uh, yeah, it's a bit. It's a little bit of a conundrum. Ben's absolutely correct. So their main operations over here in WA and servicing the mining industries, and he, you know he's absolutely correct. So if you look at the half year of the report, they're starting to warn that uh, it's it's hard to get labour, it's hard to get resources, and the price of those resources are going up. And yeah, I, I can't see that that situation changing anytime soon. I think that's being reflected uh, in the price here. Uh, with a significant pullback since that half yearly report. So uh, the big drop on the very right hand side of the chart um, started at the at when that report was released. Now, prior to that, it was actually moving higher, mainly on what Ben talked about. They, they've got uh, way more tenders in place. There's, there's more work out there, uh, especially here in WA, things are going gangbusters, but it is going to come down to the bottom line, unfortunately. I don't think the company's expensive though, um, based upon the numbers. The numbers make it look really, really cheap, um, even at these levels. But I have to um, you know, go with my, my head, not my heart. So the heart says, look, it, it looks really cheap. It's in a great area that's growing rapidly. Um, their outlook statement mentioned the word strong no less than seven times. Um, so go, go find it, control F, strong. It's seven, mentioned seven <laughs> times. Uh, but but, but you, yeah, you have to wonder what's going to happen to profit. So look, on the basis of, of, the, of the technicals, which are pointing a little lower, I have to say, stay out. There's going to be a point where it just becomes um, too cheap and you kind of have to own it. Uh, and I've got a, a penciled in here my notes. A bargain price is kind of below that 165 level. So uh, keep an eye on it. It's, it might get there. Okay. All right. Uh, Nick wants a view on uh, on Life 360, uh, Carl, the uh, the wearable um, technology that um, you can that your kids have with the with the watches, and you can follow your kids around. It's uh, um, it's interesting. Look, yeah, it is. Um, now, it's it, you know, it, it, they've just purchased a, a business called uh, GeoBit, which does have that yep. capability. So it's a little dongle that uh, you can put in the kid's backpack or if you've got uh, an elderly parent that you want to keep tabs on, um, you can, you know, uh, put it in their pocket or whatever it is. Uh, so it's changed the business model a little bit because prior to that, it was just an app on your phone. Uh, so yep. iOS or Google Store. And um, as Ben mentioned earlier, you, you track where um, your family members are and, um, you know, whether it might be driving from point A to point B and you can get notifications and when they arrive or if something uh, goes wrong and obviously um, they can contact you back. Um, the, the more wearable thing, and you mentioned kids, it's probably um, not, it hasn't traditionally been a kids thing. If you look at a lot of their marketing, it's about um, older kids, kids, kids sort of um, teenagers who have phones because you do right. need a phone um, to, to run the app. Um, but there's a lot of competition in this space. Uh, I'll give you an, an example, another listed company, Space Talk, uh, yep. which does, um, they do wearables for, for kids. And uh, we, we've had, had that for our kids uh, more recently, but there, there are more and more entrants into this space every every day. Um, and we just switched from Space Talk to another provider more recently, just, just as an example. So um, yeah, look, uh, uh, that's, that's probably the first thing I'd, I'd counsel. The, the barriers to entry aren't, aren't particularly high, but they are, they were early in this space and they've got a huge number of users already. So um, just looking at the business, um, you know, that's impressive. Their growth rates are, are very, very impressive. The only thing I would say just on the fundamentals is they're not particularly cheap at this point in time and you're paying crazy, crazy high multiples. 
Um, and I've got here FY22 to FY23Ps of around about 140, wow. uh, which is just, just too rich for me given some of those risks that I talked about earlier. Now, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Somebody's going to look at a different way and say, look, I'm prepared to take that risk. I'm not prepared to take that risk. If you look at the chart, the market is prepared to take the risk because the chart uh, looks very, very strong indeed. Um, so it's one. It's a, I'm a little bit torn. Uh, you know, I think um, if you had it, you'd hold on to it. Uh, on the basis of the technical picture, it's very, very strong. You can see bottom left, top right. That's usually a pretty yeah. good sign. Uh, but if you didn't have it, um, it's not one that I'm particularly okay. looking for. I, you know, I like to find the right stock at the right price at the right time. I'm not sure if it's the right stock. Mm. I don't think it's the right price. Uh, and the timing, I think it's had a very good run. Okay. Right, Ben, what do you think? Do you think it's a, uh, is there beauty in your eye? Um, I think this is a really interesting looking business. Um, it's an, like I, I sort of discounted the business model. I just sort of, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have wanted my parents sort of tracking what I was getting up to, but it's, um, it's clearly done well. Um, I'm going to go a hold, um, mainly just because the share price has kicked up very hard on the announcement of that acquisition. And that kind of doesn't make too much sense to me. So I, I, I probably, if I was buying it, wanted to buy it a bit cheaper. But, you know, just to run you through a few quick numbers out of their deck yesterday, 28 million users globally now, um, 18 million of those are in the US. Um, they've got a pretty decent presence over here. About a million of those users are paying a monthly sort of recurring fee to, to use the product, which gives them about $95 million in, um, in recurring revenue. And we do love finding businesses which have got high retention rates and recurring revenue because right. you sort of know, you know, if you do $100 million in, in revenue this year and you know that 95 of that's going to stick with you next year and you want to grow 20%, you've only got to add $25 million on. Yep. A lot of businesses start with a blank spreadsheet every single year and think, how do we get to 125? So that's a, it, it's, it's a reason these businesses do trade on much higher um, earnings multiples. That recurring revenue is growing at about 20% and did it throughout COVID. And this is, I think, a good stat. The average revenue per user grew 36% last year. So mm. the people who are on okay. the platform are spending more money on it, um, which is normally a good sign of happy users. Um, there's a lot of adjacencies that it could move into. You know, there's sort of the, the there's some pretty good options there. Mm. Um, the acquisition <coughs> makes sense. Um, how it plays out, you know, it's always a bit of a patchy, bit of a dangerous time, I'd say. The market's got yep. high expectations. And a final thing I'd say is there's some really good fundies on this register, which is always worth having okay. a look at. So, so what do you reckon? Hold. 593? Oh, hold. Okay. Yeah. All right. And ride it through. Yep. All right, um, our fit stock, Kate wants a view on Tyro Payments. They're the financial group that basically owns the uh, the FPOS machines and your tap and goes in a lot of small businesses. It was in the headlines that share price got crunched when it went offline for uh, a pretty significant period in, in the last three months. But the most recent trading date uh, update has seen it bouncing back. Ben, what do you think of Tyro? Uh, I'm a buy. We own Tyro, um, and we actually right. sort of added a bit to it during that um, during that period. We've caught up with um, Robbie Cook, is the CEO, really great manager, very well regarded. Yeah. I think he's done. The company has done an incredible job. This was the first outage in 18 years of Tyro's history, yeah, that's um, and it was a pretty nasty one, I'd have to say. But that the, the the nice thing about Tyro is you get a real look through at the data and the company's been very good <coughs> at providing that transparency. And the um, bizarrely, you know, the the um, the churn rates post the outage are at historical norms. So we haven't yep. seen this exodus of merchants that we were worried about. The world is going cashless. 
The move to cashless has accelerated because of COVID. Um, that's great for Tyro, more transactions. And, you know, as Australia's done so well to deal with COVID, what that's allowed, because their main, um, their main vertical is in hospitality, um, is um, capacity issues in clubs, pubs, restaurants, et cetera, have been relaxed, mm. which means more tapping and going, more revenue to Tyro. So um, I think it's a buy. Um, you know, talk about share register, largest shareholder, Mike Cannon-Brooks owns about 23% ah. of the company uh, through Grok Ventures. Um, and there's a, a few other really good fundies on this register as well. Um, so I think um, high from here. Okay. Carl, what do you think of Tyro? Yeah, it's really is beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? And um, look, a, a lot of the brokers like this one and they've got very high targets on it. I, I think it's there's a great business there. I think there's some great growth in the business. And, and again, it, it's it's the right company tick. I'm just not sure it's the, the right price. Um, it's you know trading on about 80 times FY22 to FY23 earnings. And I, whilst the growth is good, I don't think it justifies that valuation. So um, you've got to be a believer in the story. You've got to be prepared to pay those sorts of multiples. And, and if you paying those sorts of multiples, it just opens you up to execution risk. For example, uh, the January outage. Now, that's probably unlikely to occur again, but it just highlights what owning shares really is all about. You pay a price, uh, there's a risk uh, in, involved in that valuation that you paid. Uh, and, and, and you know, you, you, mm. if the, the, the better the price you pay, the, the, the lower the likely impact of those risks, in my opinion. But um, look, it's a very good business. The chart probably reflects what I think, I think, in that um, it's a little bit sideways. Look, it's the same price it is today than where it was this time last year. Uh, and then more, more broadly speaking, where it was probably about 18 months ago. Um, so yeah, the market doesn't like it. Market may be balking at the uh, the price a little. Uh, if I had it, let's get to the point. If I had it, I'd hold it. If I didn't have it, I think there are better value opportunities elsewhere. Okay. All right. Let's uh, just recap the uh, the fir first five stocks and stock of the day. Fortescue, um, a yes from Carl, a hold from Ben. Linus, a hold from Ben. Uh, Carl saying if it gets down to about 450, then worth looking at, not at the moment. Uh, strike a hold from Ben, a yes from Carl. Uh, NRW, um, a sell from Ben. Um, a, a no from Carl needs to drop a bit further for him to be interested. Uh, Life360, uh, a hold from both of them if you're in it, um, but, but no to getting into it as a new investor from Carl. And Tyro, a yes from Ben and uh, a hold from Carl. Uh, here on the call, we, we're tracking our own fantasy portfolio that we've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner NAB trade. Any stock that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again, even if it's in front of a different panel, doesn't get unanimous approval, it goes out again. Uh, let's check to see how we've been doing. Basically flat for the week, uh, up 3.5% for the month. And since the 1st of July, up just over 30%. Some of the stocks recently added. Whisper, Aristocrat Leisure, Bravura, Crown Resorts and Premium. Uh, stocks removed and called New Week's ALE Property Group. Uh, if you want to see all the shares in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, coming up this afternoon, ACCC uh, Chairman Rod Sims uh, is joining the team as a competition watchdog investigates uh, new regulation to 
monitor Apple and Google's app stores. So Rod Sims joining the team at 1.45 Eastern. All right, let's get into uh, the second five stocks. And um, um, Carl, uh, Afterpay, the, uh, uh, the global leader, you would say, in the buy now, pay later space. Yeah, look, it's a very crowded space and it gets a little bit more crowded every day, but they are certainly continuing to shoot the lights out. And I must admit, every update they provide, I'm looking in the the fine print and trying to find where things are starting to slow down. Um, uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a skeptic, but uh, like just like it's just like uh, many people look at the iron ore price and think it has to come down. Um, I look at the uh, the afterpay metrics and think things 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 must slow down. But hey, look, um, much like the iron ore price may well stay strong for longer, the afterpay um, growth rates may do the same. And uh, as long as it continues to grow like this, then it is uh, a very compelling uh, compelling business. The only problem is how much you're paying for that business. And I know I'm, I'm sound like, sounding like a bit of a stick of stick in the mud uh, today, talking about wonderful businesses, but then balking at the price that you're paying for them. And I think that's where I am with Afterpay. Um, I just think you're paying too much for what you're getting at this stage. Having a look at the chart, um, I, I think that the, the, the long-term trend is still very much intact. So if I had the stock, I would definitely um, stick with it. Um, I think there's lots of support just uh, in terms of um, where it starts to look, quote unquote, a little cheaper around that $100 level, but then it starts to look a little bit more expensive around that $140, $150 level. And we, I think we may see it move more from this fantastic uptrend that we've been used to with Afterpay into a bit more of a consolidation phase between those two numbers. So somewhere around the lower range, lower end of the range, around about 100, top end of the range, sort of 140 to 150, as the market sort of um, catches up to the euphoria that has uh, this this business has been really, you know, encompassed in for the last uh, 12 to 18 months post-COVID. Uh, and it's not uncommon for stocks to have these huge runs and have really, really long, I mean, multi-year basing patterns, uh, you know, digesting those gains before they move on to the next level, which, one, you know, this one could well do. Um, okay. So, look, if I had it, I'd definitely hold it. I don't think I'm a buyer right here, right now. Okay. Ben? I'm a buyer. Um, we own Afterpay. Um, I, I still think that there's a, a long runway of growth that's presenting, you know, particularly in the US, but it's going to start trickling across into Europe now. I think one of the best metrics to look at in trying to understand this business, and it's the one that Anthony and Nick call out on every call I've listened to for years now, is the number of times a customer transacts on the, plot, on the platform. So launched in Australia and New Zealand, yep. of their, their top quintile of customers, um, it's now I think at 37 times per annum that those customers are paying for something with Afterpay. In the US, I think it's now at about sort of 16 or 17 times. Mm -hmm. And it's almost inevitable that that trend will follow. We'll and, get to the 37. Yeah, right. and as that happens, the profitability of the platform just goes exponential. Right. And I think it's, it's something I know when people look at these valuations and it's not earning a profit or it's trading on 500 times earnings or whatever it is, you do need to recognize that the company, you know, it's earning over half a billion dollars in revenue a half now. Um, it's pumping all of that money back into its expansion, which it needs to do. Um, it could be a lot more profitable if it chose to be, but it's right. cho choosing to go after growth instead. Um, and, you know, you could, you could look at what the earnings of the business would look like if they weren't making that decision and the PE would be much lower than it, it is. Um, and in the short term, I think, you know, you've got a catalyst. There's, um, they've, they've, I think they're going to list on the NASDAQ in the next month or two. Um, 
Affirm is the, the one that really um, got everyone excited and Afterpay again. They're the second or third largest player globally. They've currently got a market cap around Afterpays. Afterpay is a mile in front of Affirm. Right. So okay. I think, and you know, I think it is, Someone said to me the other day, it, there's a bit of exhaustion with this stock. You know, I think there's some fund yeah, managers. Here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it needs a new set of eyes and a, right. a lot more of them. And I think there's going to be a re-rate when that comes on. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, all right. Now, uh, Ben, John wants a view on Accent Group, the big retailing group. Um, John says that recently announced they're purchasing another business. The market reacted very positively. Share price achieved an all-time high on a day when the market was struggling to remain in positive territory. Of course, they were buying Glue Store mm-hmm. and Next at Athleisure, um, the um, um, the active leisure wear group for thirteen million. Yeah. Uh, just recently, what do you think of Accept? I've got a hold. Um, right. You know, for me in retail, we all know retail is a really difficult area. Um, you need a niche and you need the right people. Yep. This company has a niche and it's got the right people. The The, the CEO has done an excellent job at yep. really becoming the dominant player in, in shoes. Um, so they own like athlete's foot, but also yep. like, you know, like sneakers and stuff and, and kind of street leisure wear. Um, it's become like the default place that you yep. go to shop for that. And the uh, retail genius, Brett Blundy is, is on, on the, the board. On the just board. Got- um, reappointed. <laughs> yeah, so that that that's a big tick. Um, the acquisition isn't a big deal. Um, yeah. It's a thirteen it's million dollar acquisition, yeah. one point seven billion dollar market cap. You know, good, but I wouldn't pay too much attention to that. It's run hard. We saw earnings jump forty percent during COVID with all yeah. the online. It, it's omni channels, which is another tick, but it's trading on twenty times forward earnings on what I think are probably an elevated earnings base, right. and we have seen some of. So a bit of a normalization in some of these businesses um, as they have pulled forward sales through COVID, which is why I've got it on a hold. Okay. Carl, what do you reckon of Accent? Yeah, look, I agree with everything uh, Ben has said there. It is a very, very well-run business. Um, I do like the brands that it has. Uh, so we are not talking Nana brands here unless uh, Nana is going into store to buy something for her grandchildren. So, you know, it is it is very much a growth-oriented um, part, of, part of the retail market. Uh, you know, you're targeting consumers that have um, higher, I guess, discretionary income and uh, probably don't have mortgages like the rest of yeah. us. Uh, so, so it's in the right place in retail, and they've done very well. I, you know, um, that acquisition was actually, uh, I think, a very good one. They didn't tell us exactly how many times uh, EBIT they paid for it, but based upon my back on the envelope numbers, it, it's it's less than three times and probably yeah. closer to two times. So it's a pretty neat little pickup, and that's why I think um, the price has shot up. Uh, you know, literally post-acquisition. Um, but as uh, Ben said, the, the half-yearly results were very, very good. They are um, elevated. But I think, you know, you, you balance out, um, I guess, a, a return to normal uh, on the online side, which is growing for them against uh, people getting back out into stores. Um, and, and we could see, again, I've used this term, uh, stronger for longer on, on that side. So, look, I, I've, long story short, I think it's a fantastic business. Um, I just don't think after the run-up it's had, it's particularly great value here. Um, ben, ben mentioned it's you know, trading around about 20 times earnings, which I think for this type of business and the growth it's, uh, that it's going to have is probably a little bit on the high side. Um, if I had it, I, I think looking at the chart, it, you have to hold it because regardless of what I think, the market loves it uh, and the market does its own research and comes to its own conclusion. So, yeah, look, it's, it's a definite hold for me, but I don't know if I'd be paying right. just uh, up at these prices just yet. Yep. I'd wait for a pullback. Okay. All right, Carl. Jenna wants a view on the, on the Bank of Queensland, one of our regional banks. 
Yeah, look, I mean, uh, are all all banks created equal? Um, I think this this one fills a spot in your portfolio, a particular spot for a particular type of investor. And um, look, I often say, you know, we've got a, we've got a broad range of um, clients here at Think Markets that we service, and some of them um, are day traders, and they're they're looking for the next uh, you know five cent stock to go to fifty cents. And some of them run self-managed super funds and they're looking for something like Bank of Queensland, which isn't going to give them too many headaches. Um, they're not going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be half the price and it's probably going to pay them around about a 5% fully frank dividend yield, which is way more than they're getting in the bank. And I think it's, you know, tick, tick, tick on the last um, part of the equation. If you're that type of investor and you're looking for that um, stock in your portfolio, then I'm happy to, to buy this one here. Um, I think it's got a little bit more growth in it than the other big four banks uh, at a comparable yield. Um, but then you could argue, you know, size and scale uh, maybe is not as good. The, the uh, members' equity uh, ME uh, acquisition, I think, um, alleviates that to some degree. It also provides them with some um, good diversification. Uh, but, you know, it, it, look, it's going to be boring, but it's going to be stable. It's going to pay you a nice yield. Um, I think the chart is, is pretty constructive. You know, short-term trends, long-term trends are up. Um, it's not uh, the best chart on the market, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's still mm. pointing. Uh, it's, you know, more likely to continue to go up than it is to go down okay. from here. Uh, ben, Bank of Queensland. I'm going to go sell. Um, um, the main reason is banking is not a level playing field. Um, the Bendigo Bank and Bank of Queensland, um, you know, they're trying to ultimately lend us money and make as much of a margin on that as they yep. can and make sure they get the money paid back to them, importantly. Um, and ultimate, you know, your CBAs, your NABs, your Westpacs can access debt markets at lower prices than your Bank of Queensland and Bendigo's. Just look at the hybrid market as an example. They they typically have to pay about 1% more per annum yep. in interest cost, but they have to try and match those um, mortgage rates that the big four offer. Otherwise, ultimately, why would you go? The technology is yep. not as good. It feels like a cost-based decision to me to go there. Um, so you, you get pressure on margins. And, um, um, you know, I'll, if you look at CBA, why CBA always been the best performing bank? It's because it's got the most money on deposit. Um, you know, about one third of its mortgage book is funded by its deposit holders. And that gives it an incredible advantage over the other three and absolutely over Bank of Queensland. On top of that, I think value stocks are showing signs of having re-rated and starting to peter out now. You know, we know the economy is going gangbusters. We know that the market looks six to 12 months ahead. And I think the economy is going to start to normalise over that period. We're going to, you know, sort of return yeah. to a bit more normality. And with that, I think this chase of um, the fundies chasing these value plays, you know, where there has been really good growth in the last year and they've done well, I think that you're going to start to see them hit okay. the exit. So, um, so right. for me. There you go, Jenna. Thanks for the suggestion. Uh, we've got to sort of skip along with time at the moment. Uh, Samuel wants a view, Ben, on Home Consortium. Um, this is a, an Australian property group that... Um, um, has a, a management platform, doesn't it, for big, uh, is uh, in the big box yeah. retail, yeah. isn't it? Uh, like the DFOs and that sort of thing. Yeah, I know we're a bit tighter on time, but um, one of the reasons it's good to do this sort of format is it'll throw up a stock that you never really thought to look at. Yeah. And when you go and do the work, you're like, wow, this looks quite interesting. Yeah. And th this is the one oh, I pick good. out out of the 10 that I wasn't really that familiar with. Interesting start to life. Um, you know, we all know Woolworths had this disastrous yeah. foray into Masters. 
Um, yep. It ended up with the stores. What happened to the stores? A consortium of wealthy individuals teamed up to buy the master's properties, right. which has become home consortium. Home consortium. Um, okay. And um, what they're doing, which I really like the look of, is they're transitioning from owning um, property assets to becoming a fund manager that manages those assets. So they've spun off one fund onto the market, which has taken a number of these properties with it, and they're now managing that fund. Ah. And you know, so they're a fund manager rather than a, an asset owner. An asset, right. And you know, the one thing I, you want to look for is businesses that are capital light. You don't mm. have to sink much cost in year to year yeah. to increase your profits, oh. and that's what they're moving toward. Yeah, no debt on the balance sheet. They've now um, got 1.4 billion dollars under management. They're wanting to grow that to five. Um, it looks expensive, but as it transitions to a fund manager thing, it will st start to look cheaper. Buy. Okay. Uh, Carl? Yeah, well, certainly um, the chart looks fantastic. So the chart's reflecting many of those positive positives that, that Ben has talked about. Uh, just an outrageous um, trend, uh, bottom left, top right on the chart. Uh, the candles are very interesting. So I talked about white candles before. And the way you get a white candle is you've got a very low open compared to the close. doesn't mean the stock was nece necessarily up in the day, uh, but just that you, you open low and then you close very high. And that just speaks to this sort of uh, programmed algorithmic trading that just tick, 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 tick buys uh, throughout, the, throughout the course of a day. Um, you know, high peaks, high trumps. It's got everything you'd want in a chart. So um, look, on that basis, uh, I'm, I'm a buyer. Uh, I agree with, with Ben that it is not the cheapest one out there, uh, but happy to, to buy it on the basis of the very, very mm. strong uh, technical picture going forward. Okay, the little little gem, little nugget in our, uh, <laughs> in our 10 stocks today. That's great to see. All right, final stock. Tim wants a view, Carl, on Dexas Group, the, uh, the big property uh, manager, just took on one of AMP's property funds. Yeah, look, I mean, Dexas and Home Consortium, um, I guess in the same sector, but a, a little bit different in that uh, Dexas tends to own uh, a few more assets as well as uh, managing and uh, developing them. It's a bit more of a sort of a plain vanilla yeah. and, um, and real estate investment trust play. Yeah, main, mainly in the office space and the industrial space. I think there's a little bit of an opportunity here. Um, you know, a lot of the talking markets over the last few months have, has been about how banks have over-provisioned uh, for, for COVID. And um, these guys have obviously um, set certain provisions in place um, for due to uh, rent waivers, reductions, et cetera, et cetera. Some of that's going to back out. Um, I think, you know, and then I think there'll be a, a particular, you know, re-rating of the stock. Um, so... Look, on that basis and the basis of the technical picture, which is improving, you can see on screen now, um, it's, it's obviously had a very sharp drop due to COVID, a very long base pattern uh, where demand and supply have to come together. That's why it's going sideways. Um, supply gives a little bit of demand still in place and starts to pick up. So um, the, the chart looks good. Um, I think there's potential um, re-rating of the business coming forward, going forward. It's not particularly cheap. That's the only caveat. But... Uh, get to the point, Carl. I, I think it fills a particular spot in your portfolio. You're looking for something in the REIT space. Uh, you're looking for something that's got a good dividend yield. You're looking for something that's going to be fairly steady and stable. Um, if you're a growth investor and you're looking for capital, you know, cap, you know, strong capital growth and a fantastic story, this is probably not it. But yeah. if you are the right investor that I've talked about, then happy to buy here. Yep. Okay. Ben? I'm a buyer as well. Um, we actually met with these guys a month ago. I really like the look of Dexas. I, I think the, the, the death of the office is completely overrated. Um, right. I mean, you would have seen, Koshi, that the city is filling up rapidly yep. again, it feels yep. like to me. Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, not Friday yeah, or, <laughs> or Monday. Monday. <laughs> yeah, wonder why. Yeah. Um, 
Look, the, the reason I like Dexas is it's tier one assets. So it's right. things like Chifley Plaza, Australia oh, Square, right. MLC. It's, it's they're kind of where businesses would love to be if they could afford to be there. Right. A lot of the um, tenants in these in these buildings have been unaffected by COVID. You know, it's yeah. bankers, lawyers, that's, you know, that yeah. sort of thing, in some cases doing well. Collecting 96% of rent over the last year. The market at $10 is implying that the the valuation of the offices is going to fall 20% from June 30 valuations. Uh-huh. Dexas has sold $1.7 billion of their portfolio at book value. So at a 0% okay. discount to right. valuation, it's going to pay a 29 cent dividend this um, half and about a 5.5% yield for the full year. It's got a funds management business which is doing well. Gearing is below 20%. Um, so I think we're going to find that the valuations of offices, particularly the highest quality ones, aren't going to be too affected if you're not oh, a forced seller. Right. And if that's the case, 12, 13 bucks on Dexas. Okay. All right. Let's uh, recap our final uh, five stocks. Afterpay, uh, a yes from Ben, no from Carl, Accent Group, uh, a hold from both. If, if you're in it, Carl wouldn't be getting in as a new investor. Uh, Bank of Queensland, a sell from uh, from Ben, uh, a buy for yield investors um, uh, from Carl, uh, Home Consortium, a yes from both, and Dexas, a yes from both. So Home Consortium and Dexas go into the calls portfolio. Um, Carl Kapalinga from Think Markets. Hope you, hopefully you can get to the Derby. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Koshi. Looks like we got some consensus on the last two there. That's good. Yeah, excellent. (laughs) And Ben Clark from TMS Capital. Ben, great to have you aboard. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks. Talk again soon. Now, that's our show for today. Any stocks that you'd like us to cover, put them in an email to us, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us uh, using the at TV handle. Uh, If you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, go to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And for a wrap up of the day in markets and business, everything that's been going on, you need to get the uh, uh, the close of business newsletter. It gets Scuddy's view, uh, a link to the podcast, and also uh, a link to all the popular interviews and videos during the day. Uh, subscribe, osbiz.co slash COV. And coming up after 1 p.m. here on Osbiz, Uh, Chief Investment Officer of Atlas Funds, Hugh Dive, joins us as he runs through the banks going into their reporting season next week. Uh, Hugh is on the show at 1.30 Eastern. So you don't want to miss a minute. Back after the break.